Hello everyone and welcome to the first CIO HouseView monthly live stream of 2024. Today is Thursday, January 4th. I'm Amantia Muhedini. Thank you for joining us. Today I'm joined by my CIO colleagues David Lefkowitz and Jason Drow. Hi David, hi Jason. And we always appreciate hearing from you and also from our live audience. So please, audience, ask a question. You have a button that is open right now to allow you to engage with us during today's discussion. We'll open the line up to audience Q&A a little bit later. And for now, let's dive right in with you, Jason. Um, we'll start talking about GDP. So. Um, We've seen a lot of predictions coming in for 2024. The third quarter GDP was revised up to 5.2%, and the Atlanta Fed GDP now uh, came in tracking at 2% today. So economic growth seems to be doing much better than professional forecasters were saying, especially you know over the last year. So what's happening? Where are we? And what? How is this story going to evolve over the coming months? Well, 2023 growth proved far more resilient than people expected this time last year. Uh, the Atlanta Fed number you quoted in terms of the fourth quarter GDP tracking, it was 2% yesterday. This morning, it's now back up to 2.5%. So it is fluctuating, but it tells you that growth moderated from 5% roughly in the third quarter, still growing at a healthy level of trend or even like a little bit above trend. So good momentum going into 2024 and the first quarter. When I think about um, you know the outlook for, for this year, Simple terms, it's going to moderate from last year. Growth for 2023, once we get the final numbers, will probably be like 2.5% or above GDP growth. So we're going to moderate probably something below 2%, let's say roughly 1.5%. It depends exactly how the numbers kind of finally come in for, for last year. In terms of momentum, though, you know, good momentum towards the end of last year, some moderation. We think about that, how the year ended. Stock market was up 10% in the last two months. Interest rates dropped about one full percentage point on the 10-year uh, on expectations that the Fed will begin to cut. So overall financial conditions eased. That tends to be kind of predictive of economic activity in a couple of quarters. So that's sort of a you know, potential tailwind. Lower rates overall helps. Just think about mortgage rates. The average nationally for the 30-year was around 8%. Now it's below 7%. Again, these are things that will help kind of growth relative to expectations. Um, Consumer spending is holding up. You know, there's some thought in the fourth quarter that with student loan repayments kind of kicking in, the lagged effect of higher rates will start to impact consumers. But the data we can see that's up to real time, including over the holidays, showed people were still willing to spend, you know, with growth, let's say around 2%, kind of consistent with prior to the pandemic sort of trends. So all this gives us a pretty good confidence that growth will moderate this year, but it's not going to fall off the cliff. You know, thinking soft landing is sort of the base case scenario and all the data we have right now and the trends you know, kind of give us confidence in that. That's fair. And that has been the language that we've been using for some time now. So so somewhat moderate outlook, but 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 relatively rosy as well. It's not a completely dark picture that we're looking at. Not at all. Now, you mentioned rates. Uh, it's not a live stream unless we talked about the Fed directly. The Fed is also watching these same indicators that you're talking about. So tell us what is the path of rates looking forward and how does our view compare to the broad market expectations? So certainly, I think the biggest thing that happened in the last two months of last year was expectations for the Fed. Good news on inflation, inflation was coming, coming down pretty rapidly and below expectations in the last couple of months of the year. And then suddenly the views of the Fed have changed a lot. So from the Fed is done hiking, uh, and the question is how much do they start cutting, how soon and at what sort of pace. That's the biggest debate in the markets right now. Market pricing as of about 30 minutes ago was the Fed is going to cut about six times this year, or let's say five and a half times, the equivalent of about 140 basis points, beginning with about a 70% chance in March. 
You know, just a couple of days ago, that was like say 160 basis points of cuts and about a 95% chance of a March hike. So just in the past few days, you've seen some kind of walking back a little bit of the margin of what the, the market is pricing, but still significant. Mm -hmm. The Fed in its December meeting said, you know, their projection was three cuts this year. So you have a range of three cuts to almost all the way to six cuts from the Fed versus the market. I'd say, you know, we're in between, not as much as the market's pricing, but probably more than what the Fed is saying, but not, not a lot more. It's gonna be very data dependent, so this is gonna be a moving target throughout the year. I'd say the biggest disagreement we'd have with the markets right now is, you know, I think the probability even at 70% is probably still too high for a March hike. We'd be looking more likely they're gonna start in May and then go from there, you know, data dependent. Um, I think that's really gonna be, you know, the key story is the Fed's gonna be cutting this year. They're able to cut uh, because inflation is falling, uh, and then if there's any signs of economic weakness, they're able to kind of cut pretty aggressively because inflation has moved in the right direction. That just sort of reinforces kind of the soft landing view is that inflation stories behave well enough that it's given the Fed much more discretion to be maybe early and aggressive if the economy slows down. So again, that's a supportive for the soft landing thesis. But how much the market's pricing versus the reality, that's, I think we're a little more cautious and it's gonna be move around a lot, just very much depending on how the data comes in. Sure, of course, and our outlook here makes sense given what you just said about our outlook on the economy as well. Good, now, David, let's bring you into the conversation here. Let's talk about markets. So Jason mentioned that just over the last two months of last year, uh, the S&P 500 was up by 10% by or so. Um, it closed the year at near record highs and over the year it was up by 26%. So what is our expectation given those results for the S&P over the 2024 year? Yeah, thanks, Amantia. So just to, to level set, our, our, we have a, a neutral allocation on U.S. equities in our, in our, in our tactical asset allocation portfolio. So that means investors should have a, a full allocation in line with what it would be a normal allocation. Um, so I would say there's a, there's a mix of positives and negatives in terms of the outlook. Um, Jason talked a lot about the, the outlook for the economy and the fact that we do think we're gonna get a soft landing is clearly positive. Right? So in that soft landing scenario, we don't think we're going to see much of a rise in the unemployment rate. That means that consumer spending should remain pretty, pretty well supported. And that's really crucial in terms of corporate profits and, and, and things like that. The other thing, uh, you know, speaking about corporate profits, the other thing is that we do think we're going to see a bit of an increase in in corporate profit growth this year. Uh, so that's another positive. And then the third positive, again, Jason talked about this, is that we've seen a huge shift from the Fed in terms of in the last you know, sort of 18 to 24 months, they were really fighting inflation, trying to slow down the economy. They're now at a point where they can, uh, they can start to cut interest rates because inflation has improved so much. So that's a really different backdrop for the equity market. The, the one kind of fly in the ointment is a lot of this is priced in. You know, you, you talked about the 10% uh, the move, and Jason talked about also 10% move in the last couple of months. I mean, we had a 15% rally from the October bottom to, uh, to the end of the year. It's a pretty big move in a short amount of time. That's pushed up valuations. We're now trading at over 19 times earnings on S&P 500. So, 
uh, a lot of this is priced in and, and therefore, you know, our view, we're going to see much more modest gains this year, you know, kind of mid single digit or so when we, when we think about the S&P 500. Now, look, that being said, the fact that the Fed is in a position where they can start supporting the economy if there's any reason to do so, in, in, in other words, they can start cutting interest rates, um, that means we don't think the sell, any sell-offs this year are going to be uh, very pronounced, again, in the base case of a soft landing. And that could be an opportunity to get more aggressive in terms of adding to equity exposure if we do see any kind of, any kind of sell-off. That's interesting. So, so we expect pretty much a band, right? Moderate sort of positive outlook. Any sell-offs would also likely be limited. Um, now, you, you mentioned that generally in equities we're neutral. Can you talk a little bit more about some of our more specific uh, allocations? I know that just, uh, just before the end of the year, we went overweight small caps mm-hmm. uh, in our tactical portfolio. So, so let's dig into that a little bit. Yeah. So, you know, in, in this kind of environment, I, I think it makes sense to look for opportunities where, where there are cheap soft landing plays. And, and I would put small caps squarely into, into that bucket. Uh, so small caps, you know, first of all, they, they have significantly lagged large caps uh, over the last year. They, they lagged large caps by about 10 percentage points. When we look at valuations, we were talking about valuations for large caps where the PE multiple was over 19 times. For small caps, it's much, much lower. They're trading at a 30% discount to that. And historically, small caps tend to trade at parity or even slightly higher on a valuation basis relative to, to large caps. So, so it's a, it's a cheap way to get exposure to a soft landing outcome. Uh, on top of that, in, in our view, if we see this improvement in earnings growth, small cap earnings are pretty correlated with large cap earnings, uh, just with more volatility. So if we do see this improvement in earnings growth coming through, that should be supportive for small caps as well. And I would say the last element here is, is, has to do with interest rates. Small caps do have more, more debt or more leverage than large caps. They have shorter maturities. Um, so small caps are a, a more direct way to get a benefit from lower short-term interest rates. As the Fed starts lowering interest rates, that should directly feed into lower financing costs for, for a lot of the small cap universe. So that's an area we like. From a sector perspective, uh, you know, we really have a mix at the moment, I, right? We, we, we do like tech. Now, I think you have to be a little bit selective within tech um, that, you know, there's some areas of the market within tech where like semiconductors, where we think we're going to see a cyclical recovery based on the recovery in smartphones, in, in PCs and, and things like that. Um, uh, so that, that looks interesting to us. Plus, you get some nice secular growth in some of the software areas. Uh, we also like energy, which has been, you know, a pretty big laggard uh, over the last year. Um, oil prices have come down. We think, though, that oil prices are poised to rise higher from here. L- the declines that we've seen over the last year, we think, are largely due to strong growth in supply, and we don't think we're going to see the, nearly the same level of supply growth into 2024. The rig count has fallen quite, uh, quite a bit here in, in the United States. That tends to lead to lower production growth as we look out over over time. So, energy we think looks interesting. We think we're going to see a tightening in, in the in the oil markets, and then you know the, the defensives are very cheap. Also, you know, think, thinking about sort of broadening out a little bit, looking beyond uh, sort of the market leaders from last year. Uh, so, state consumer staples is our is our preferred the defensive play within the defensives. Okay.
Yeah, I mean, lots of nuance there across sectors, especially as the, 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 the economy broadly is, is kind of adjusting and finding this softish landing uh, place of repose. I wonder what happens next. Um, <laughs> now, uh, a couple more questions, and then we'll open you up to Q&A. So, so David, I just want to stay with you. You mentioned a couple of times earnings and that we expect kind of moderate earnings growth. Can you just dig in a little bit there further? Yeah, so, so just a little bit more detail in terms of why we think we're going to see an improvement in earnings growth. I think you have to recognize that the, the S&P 500 is, is correlated with the economy, or corporate profits are correlated with the economy, but there are some pretty significant differences. The, the S&P 500 is much more uh, heavily weighted towards goods consumption as opposed to services than is the overall economy. And the good side of the, of the economy has been fairly weak for the last 18 months or so. And, and we think those headwinds are, are starting to abate, certainly getting less intense than, than they have been. So, uh, and, and certainly possible, and we, when we talk to retailers, we talk to companies, um, inventories look very cleaned up. Um, and we certainly could be in a position where we start to get to a, a restocking of inventories, which would really just add to this goods, uh, goods improvement that is certainly possible as we go into 24. Um, so an improvement on the good side of the economy. You've also got some more idiosyncratic things going on. Uh, earnings was, was held down last year by the fall in energy prices. Uh, as well, we've, we had some difficult comparisons in healthcare. So more idiosyncratic things going on in, in some of the, the various sectors. But the, the overall message is that this headwind on the good side has been, has been a pretty substantial one. And we think that starts to wane. And as long as consumer spending, as we said, remains you know, relatively, relatively supported, uh, you know, we should get a, a bit of a recovery in, uh, in earnings. I, you know, one other thing I would mention on this, you know, I, there's been some concern about falling inflation and how that impacts corporate revenues. It is true, obviously, when, when inflation falls, you're going to see revenue growth fall. But I think what people don't fully uh, you know, take into account is that, well, costs are falling also, mm -hmm. right? So, so even though revenue growth has moderated over the last uh, couple of quarters, and you know, it, we think it's kind of in a range now where it can be sustainable, uh, costs have also fallen as well. And that's, that's why we've seen margins have actually been rising over the course of, of 2023. Uh, so I wouldn't get too hung up or, or concerned about the, the moderating inflation. Got, got it. Very interesting. I mean, rates, the Fed, consumers are, are probably the topics that we'll keep talking about, especially over the next quarter. Um, and that leads us with one kind of big gaping hole in this conversation, which is, of course, fixed income. Uh, so maybe, Jason, over to you to close us out here on, on this first part of the discussion. What is our outlook? For, for fixed income and bond markets. You want me to fill this big gaping hole? Big gaping right. hole, okay. you have a couple of minutes. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you can get us home. <laughs> so let's, thinking about fixed income, let's start with kind of the rates story. So, you know, as I mentioned earlier, big decline in treasury yields in the fourth quarter as expectations for the Fed, you know, shifted significantly. To some extent, we probably think they overshot on the downside, meaning if you take the 10-year, late October, it peaked almost exactly at 5%. It fell to a little bit below 3.8% uh, just last week. As of, you know, again, about an hour ago, it was around 3.97%. So up about 20 basis points from the low. Given so sort of the macro backdrop, we think it's going to be pretty good. The market is probably pricing it a little too much in terms of Fed rate cuts. As that maybe gets priced out, I think throughout this, this quarter, you can see the 10-year back up a little bit. Also, the, the technical picture in the first quarter, 
is sort of favorable for rates to go higher, meaning a lot of supply will come to the markets, whether it's the Treasury issuing or even corporates taking advantage of lower yields. So I think all this sort of, to us, kind of biases the 10-year, probably getting back up to four and a quarter, four and a half in that kind of range. Not much higher. We're very, very unlikely we're going to see the 5% again this cycle or, or maybe in our lifetimes. Who knows? Um, <laughs> never, never say never, that. Never say, <laughs> never say never. We learned a couple uh, lessons over the last um, two years. <laughs> but in the near term, probably you know, peaking at 4.5 at a point where I think us and a lot of people would think, investors would think, this is a good buying opportunity. Again, adds sort of longer duration exposure. So that's the rate backdrop. Once the Fed is starts to cut, we know historically that's when yields tend to decline. So the 10-year could go to four and a quarter, four and a half, but then ultimately I think later this year in the second half, it could fall to three and a half percent, you know, give or take, uh, as, as the Fed is cutting those rates. So that still favors ultimately this year kind of quality bonds. That's been a message we've had for a while. But within that, I think there's a little more nuance. Um, we've liked, you know, corporate bonds for a while, but spreads tighten quite a bit. Uh, so within sort of the, let's call it the spread product, anything that isn't government issued, whether it's treasuries or munis, things like securitized products, agency mortgage-backed securities, they're basically government guaranteed, but they actually trade, you know, kind of cheap versus corporate bonds that have credit risk. So we like agency MBS. Uh, agency MBS, kind of corporate or commercial mortgage-backed securities, both agency and sort of private sector, those are sort of attractive areas that we like. Um, so there is, again, they're, they're high quality that we're talking about, but they still have, I think, our attractively priced spread. So I think you have to be a little more selective right now, given, like in equities, a lot of kind of spread compression and rates rallied in, in late in last year. So for the moment, be a little more selective kind of where you had exposure, but still overall the same thesis of kind of a higher quality bond still kind of remains the main message that we have on the fixed income landscape. Okay, perfect. Sounds great. Now, um, let, let's open up to some audience Q&As here. And then don't forget, you have that ask a question button that you can just hit on the web page. Um, and we already have received a couple. So maybe one here for, for you, David. We just talked about fixed income, but let's go back to talking about fundamentals. Mm -hmm. um, so one of our audience members is asking, is pointing out that the markets seem to have been trading on technicals for the last couple of years. Um, with, with especially uh, talks of multiple expansion and PE levels being elevators, elevated. Now, you just talked me through um, some pretty fundamental type co mm -hmm. considerations around earnings and so forth. Right. So the question is, what is your sense on what is actually driving markets? When is pricing going to be driven by fundamentals? Or are we looking at sort of other catalysts here? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, look, it's always a combination of factors, right? And, and I think we have to bear in mind that the, the equity markets are always somewhat forward-looking. I mean, sometimes, sometimes it feels like they're very short-term focused. Um, but I, you know, kind of similar to my comments I just, uh, that I made earlier, I do think there's, the market is already pricing in some of this anticipation of, of the soft landing and some of the uh, anticipation of a, of a pickup in earnings growth and anticipation of what the, the Fed is going to do as well. So I, I do think there are fundamental elements that are driving the markets. But look, we also can't ignore um, you know, some of the things that can drive markets in the short term, like positioning and, and things like that. And positioning, in other words, you know, how bearish or bullish are people positioned in the market, was you know, fairly depressed in, in October after that 10% correction we saw. And you know, now it's, it's you know, maybe a little bit more extended, you know, maybe a little bit higher than, than normal. It's not extreme, I wouldn't say. But that certainly can drive markets in the short term, uh, some of these positioning um, sort of elements. So that's certainly something we're also aware of. Hard to predict exactly you know, what the catalysts are to unlock those changes, but obviously you know, 
you know, we'll be watching all the data. Yeah, of course. And what about AI as another big driver of last year? Yeah, I, I mean, look, I, I think just given where valuations are, I, again, I think we want to be you know, cognizant of, of some of the, 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 the moves that we've seen and some of the, the most highly levered companies to AI. Um, but this is, I mean, that, you know, our view is that this is a durable trend, right? That we're going to, we have seen a tremendous amount of spending uh, already uh, to take advantage of these AI opportunities. And we think that will continue at a fairly rapid clip. Um, in fact, we just put out some new numbers around, you know, just very rapid growth in the whole AI complex in the coming years. This is not going to be a straight line. Um, so I think that's important to bear in mind. It's sort of a long-term megatrend, which probably, you know, should be represented in portfolios. But we're going to go through periods of disillusionment. And, you know, look, in, in 2024, I think it's going to be important the rubber is going to hit the road a little bit in the sense of what's the adoption of some of these applications that are currently being rolled out and developed by the software companies. Um, is, is that going to meet market expectations? You know, we'll have to see. Uh, but I would, I would stay focused on the long term, that there really is a, a true long term opportunity here. But expect volatility. <laughs> Yeah, no, of course. And the AI story is interesting. It will eventually have implications at the macro level, but, but it will probably take some time for it to actually be adopted. And speaking of the macro story, I mean, this is maybe a question for both of you, but, but Jason, we'll start with you. We're talking about the softish landing, which seems to be more or less market consensus now. Maybe there are some outliers out there. Um, so someone from the audience is asking, it, is, asking that is, is there a risk for a surprise move down here? What are those risk elements? Maybe that's the way. To, to think about it. Right. So, you know, the person is asking, like, the consensus at the beginning of 22 was everyone was bullish after 21. Markets went down a lot. Last year, this time, the consensus was we'd have a recession by the middle of the year. That did not happen, and equities did really well. So, given the consensus is expecting soft landing right now, what could we get wrong? So, I think what we got wrong, what the investor community got wrong two years ago was uh, that, um, you know, how much the Fed would actually have to hike to bring down inflation. Uh, so basically we got the Fed wrong, let's say two years ago, and last year we got the economy wrong. This time the consensus is soft landing and the Fed's gonna be cutting rates. So starting with that, could those be wrong? On the economy, look, I think the lagged effects of past tightening, you know, people think they have, they're not gonna be at large, perhaps they're gonna still finally kind of kick in and be significant, it just takes some time. Uh, and there's certainly pockets of weakness where you can see default rates picking up for credit cards or delinquency rates picking up for credit cards, auto loans, there's definitely some stress there. So perhaps this ends up being a bigger slowdown than we anticipate. Um, or inflation doesn't come down as much as people anticipate and all the cuts that the market's expecting from the Fed did not materialize. In some way, the, way, the worst outcome is if growth moderates and inflation stays sticky and the Fed is kind of, kind of stuck yeah. between you know, the rock and a hard place. So it definitely could be wrong there. There's always geopolitical risks, things that, that could go wrong there. It's a year of a lot of politics, a lot of elections. The situation in the Middle East is very fluid. Could there be disruptions to oil? Could there be disruptions to supply chains? So there's a variety of risks. Those are just difficult to calibrate in terms of probabilities. So they exist, um, and, and if it happens, it's, it's always more of a risk case than a base case. In terms of the fundamentals, again, it's more like growth is worse than we expect, inflation is higher than we expect, and the Fed doesn't cut nearly as much. One of those things could cause markets to pull back. To get a 20% pullback again, it'd probably require worse fundamentals and some, some sort of exogenous shock, things that, again, it's harder to predict. But that's where I think if we're wrong, we're going to be wrong for those 
you know, some of those reasons. Yeah, and again, these are, I mean, these are the, the areas that we're circling to pay very close attention to, so I'm sure they'll come back for the next live, but we'll, we'll close out with that. Now, you mentioned, I think, briefly elections. We, are, we do have a question on elections. Polls are not very definite. Uh, we are just at the beginning of the election year in the US, and by the way, this is a global election year in a lot of democracies around the world. Um, Let's stick here with the U.S. Do you think that the elections, just this year, how will the elections conversation create maybe noise in the market or impact market kind of movements in general? Uh, oh, yeah. We'll start with David. Okay, uh, sorry. I guess it's okay. my role to sorry. point, so I, I thought, go ahead. I thought, you were, I thought you were looking at Jason. But, um, yeah, look, I, I, think, I think, you know, if you look at the normal pattern, usually the markets start to focus on the election kind of starting in the summer, around when the, con the conventions happen, and, and, and you sort of get a more definitive idea of what the platforms are for the different candidates and what the policy initiatives would be that, that the candidates would, would like to uh, have implemented. Um, and then oftentimes get going right into the election, you know, there's some uncertainty around who the ultimate winner is going to be, and sometimes you see markets pull back a little bit. Or, you know, right before the election, but then once we get the certainty, then markets tend to tend to appreciate that and and sort of have a little bit of a relief rally. So, it it's a you know certainly the election can't have an impact on the markets if there are significant policy changes. I think it's a little bit too early for the markets to be placing sort of uh, you know to be positioning for that. Um, but that will increasingly happen as we as we get closer to the election. So if I had to sum it up, I don't think it's going to be. A, sh a driver in the very short term, but certainly something that, that we will incorporate as we get deeper into the year. Okay. I'll just yeah, add one thing. More short term from a political perspective is the risk of a government shutdown. Because the government is funded basically until the beginning of February, it was continuing resolutions were passed twice last fall. So if there isn't a, another continuing resolution or a full budget by beginning of February, there is a pretty good chance of a government shutdown, maybe briefly, but that certainly will be the focus of the markets for, the, for later this month. But sort of like with the, the election, the markets have kind of been through this before. They tend to sort of look through this, you know, short-term volatility and some noise, but ultimately a month later, it's you kind of move on. But I think that's, it just sort of sets the tone for a year in which certainly politics domestically and globally will be on investors' radar. The only thing I'd say about it is, is for the market's perspective, what the Fed does is probably a multiple times more important than what mm -hmm. happens on the political front, even though for a lot of our clients, and the public tends to focus much more on the politics. The markets will you know, focus much more on what the Fed is doing and how some of the economic data is influencing what the Fed will do. All right. And we'll keep watching that economic data. Thank you very much for spending time with us and to our audience. Uh, that was all the time that we had today. Thank you for spending time with us as well. We're looking forward to a strong year of programming ahead. Our next CIO monthly live stream, make sure to mark it on your calendar, will take place on Thursday, February 1st at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. And until then, we'll continue to keep you updated with our latest views through our house view publications, CIO alerts, and more. We have lots of great multimedia available as well. And you can check out more videos like our regular UBS trending series, as well as podcasts featuring more of our colleagues from UBS and our best partners. And as always, we encourage you to continue the conversation with your UBS financial advisor. Thanks for joining us and have a great rest of your day.
UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.